Gentlemen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we'll be discussing The Goodbye Girl. I think I can play this part. I know at last that I belong with you. But first, I must ask you, how are you doing? How have you been? It's cold out there. I know it's cold where we are. I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but it's gotten worse, hasn't it, Patty? Stay inside where you are if it's cold. If it's nice, go outside. Go to the beach. Have a hot dog. But if it's cold, please stay inside. Don't be rash. Stay inside with your podcasts. Your podcasts will keep you safe. Just snuggle up. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Snuggle up in some brand new quilts. Brand new quilts. Retail value. (laughs) Patty, I am so happy to be here with you. Patty, of course, our producer in the booth. Uh, Patty, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's been a lot of news regarding The Great White Way. Lots of shows in development. Yes, Patty, that's correct. Uh, She's nodding. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, First, of course, is the news that Melissa Etheridge is working on a a musical adaptation of Mystic Pizza, the Julia Roberts film. Uh, I don't remember this joke, but apparently it is a joke from the television show 30 Rock. Uh, Mystic Pizza, the musical, was a punchline making fun of movie adaptations on Broadway, and now we're getting the real thing. You know, JoJo... When life keeps handing you anchovies, just cover them up with some extra cheese and make a pizza. I don't know a goddamn thing about Mystic Pizza. Uh, Maybe it'll be fantastic. Honestly, without any irony or humor, no humor. You know, a lot of people, I think, balked at the idea of Waitress being turned into a musical, but everyone loves waitress now. So why not Mystic Pizza? Give Mystic Pizza a chance. I don't think there's a Broadway show that's ever had the word pizza in it, but why not now? Why not now? We believe in change, don't we? We believe in revolution. (laughs) Mystic Pizza will start a Broadway revolution of of shows that all have to do with pizza. Yum. There are worse things. Uh, Of course, the other bit of news, I have three pieces of news. This is the second piece of news, if you're keeping track. Uh, Magic Mike, the musical, will be premiering in Boston, baby. So if you want to see men take off their clothes and battle with their emotions, go see Magic Mike, the musical, before it premieres on Broadway. Go to Boston. Have a hot dog on the beach. And the third piece of news, I I should say I I don't care about Magic Mike becoming a musical. I have no real feelings about that. I've seen the majority of the first film. I believe I've seen everything from maybe the first half hour on. For some reason, I, I haven't seen the beginning of it. And I've seen the second one, which everyone claims is a camp classic, uh, but I, I didn't see it. I, I actually found it to be quite boring. So the fact that it's being turned into a musical, apparently the musical is a prequel to those two films. Didn't know that. Uh, that seems like a weird creative decision. I'm not sure why we're bothering. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
I don't care. <laughs> Maybe it'll be, again, utterly fantastic. And I'm a gay man. I love cum gutters. I love... <laughs> Why not see them on the Great White Way? Why not? More bodies, I say. More pizza, more bodies. More pizza, more bodies. Yum, yum, yum. Why can't I eat pizza in a Broadway venue? Just a question. The third piece of news that I have at the top of the show here is the fact that the Michael Jackson bio-musical, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, is in full swing. It is in process. It is being created. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know what the hell that's going to look like. Uh, I know that it's going to be a little more than a showcase for all of his tunes. But the fact that it's a bio show, it's a biography show about Michael Jackson. So what exactly are we going to be doing there? Are we going to maybe play it safe and just tell a part of his story? Maybe lift a chunk of the timeline out and just dismiss everything that came before or after? Eh, let's just focus on when he was a little kid and everybody loved him. Let's focus on when he was a teenager and everybody loved him. Maybe stop after the Pepsi commercial hair fire. Maybe not even mention the Pepsi commercial hair fire. Can you imagine? Uh, What if they tried to do the entire story? Wicked Witch of the West warts and all. No, thank you. (laughs) God, it just that of all of the shows that we have discussed in this opening segment, that is easily the most ill-advised. I get it. Why not do a show like Moving Out? Moving Out is a jukebox show of Billy Joel songs, and there is no proper book. There is no linear story. It is a dance show in which people sing on stage. It's just singing and dancing, and there is nothing more to it. Not every person needs to have their story processed through the Broadway sausage machine. Okay? Cher uh, got it. You know, that's great. Fantastic. The Cher show, she, she's not a pedophile, but it, that, I think that might be the key difference. Uh, and I think we need to understand how important that difference is. We're talking about the goodbye girl today. Let's get some facts about the goodbye girl, shall we? Now, the goodbye girl is a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It was a nominee back in 1993. It did not win. The show is based on the 1977 film written by Neil Simon and starring Richard Dreyfuss and Marsha Mason. That film made $102 million and won Dreyfuss the Academy Award for Best Actor at the age of 30, making him the youngest actor to win the award at the time. There were three attempts to turn the film into a TV sitcom. The first pilot aired in May of 1982 and starred Karen Valentine and Michael Lembeck. That did not go to series. The second pilot, which never aired, starred Joe Beth Williams. And the third pilot, which also never aired, starred Karen Valentine. Remember her name? That's because she starred in the first pilot. Uh, TNT remade the film for television in 2004. This version starred Jeff Daniels and Patricia Heaton of Everybody Loves Raymond fame. Deborah, She played Deborah. I think the point I'm trying to make with all of this information is that Jesus Christ did Hollywood love the goodbye girl and it was obsessed with trying to milk it for everything that it was worth. You'd think a hundred million plus dollars would be enough and an Oscar. But no, (laughs) Hollywood, she be a hungry beast. So as I said, the show was a nominee back in 93 for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on March 4th, 1993 at the Marquee Theater and ran for 188 performances. 
Not great. Not great. I think that's a little bit more than the show we discussed last week, Passing Strange. Uh, This was a $7 million production, if if I'm doing my research correct, so I think it's safe to say that that money was not recouped. The book was written by Neil Simon. It was based on his original screenplay. The music was by Marvin Hamlish, and the lyrics were by David Zeppel. Zeppel? Zeppel. Zipper! The (laughs) director was Michael Kidd. The choreographer was uh, Graciela Danielle. And the original cast included Bernadette Peters, Martin Short, Carol Woods, Suzanne Fletcher, Tammy Minoff, Lisa Molina, and Aaron Torpy. Now, Bernadette Peters coming into this show, of course, a stalwart figure in the theater. She is an icon. She be diva. She be amazing. She be lovely. Uh, Bernadette Peters, your voice is like a, a piece of cinnamon candy. You're like a cinnamon stick. You're, 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 you're wonderful. You're gorgeous. That head of hair, that beautiful, fiery head of hair. You're fantastic. Who couldn't love you. Bernadette Peters coming into The Goodbye Girl had already done on Broadway, Sunday in the Park with George, Song and Dance, and Into the Woods, among many other Broadway credits. Martin Short uh, was making his Broadway debut with The Goodbye Girl. He had already established himself on screen uh, via SCTV and films like Father of the Bride, Three Amigos, and Inner Space. Uh, the show did receive a few uh, additional Tony nominations beyond Best Musical. Martin Short was nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical. Bernadette Peters was nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical. Graciela Danielle uh, was nominated for Best Choreography. And Michael Kidd was nominated for Best Direction of a Musical. So, long story short, they did not win any awards at the 1993 Tony Award Ceremony. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't reach for those medallions just yet. Slap. We slap your hands. <laughs> the plot of the show is as such. Uh, I'm going to... I don't really have any notes uh, because, as uh, I'll explain later, I, I wasn't able to see a full production of this, sad to say. But I know enough based on the description of the film's plot and the show's plot, which are very similar. Paula is the titular goodbye girl, played by Bernadette Peters, and she is known as the goodbye girl because all the men are always saying, goodbye, Paula. It's been nice, but we gotta go, Paula. We're breaking your heart. Give me your heart. And at the top of the show, she and her daughter, Lucy, are really excited because for once in her life, Paula feels like she's not going to be the goodbye girl. She's met this wonderful man who's been living with her and her daughter, and they are going to be together forever. No, not actually. Not at all forever. This man leaves them and writes them a letter saying... I am not going to see you ever again. I do not want to be with you, and I do not care about your daughter. Oh, she's so sad. But who's that knocking at her door? Knock, knock, knock. Oh my god, it's Martin Short as Elliot Garfield. Hello, I'm Elliot Garfield. Shortly before the man of your dreams uh, destroyed your life, he arranged for me to sublet this very New York City apartment that you be living in. So this apartment is mine now, legally. And oh, what's that? Paula is very upset. Paula and Elliot are arguing over who has squatters' rights, essentially. And Elliot very graciously slash maliciously, there are lots of strings, (laughs) Elliot essentially says to Paula, fine, you can stay here, but I'm the landlord, I'm in charge, don't boss me around, Paula, don't think that you can push me around, okay? I'm in charge. I can kick you out on the street whenever I want. Yeah, there's no way I'm ever gonna be attracted to this broad. And Paula thinks, there's no way I'm ever gonna be attracted to this broad. She refers to him as a broad. But what's this? What? What? These two people? This man and woman? 
who were not attracted to each other do become attracted to each other. A what? And and here's the thing, they have something in common because they're both actors. That's right, they're both struggling actors. Paula is a 35-year-old woman trying to get back into the career, the lifestyle, the world of the dancer. She wants to be a dancer, but she's 35 years old. She's falling apart. And meanwhile, Elliot is trying desperately to succeed off-off-Broadway in a production of Richard III. Oh, but the performance that he gives in the production that he's chosen to be a part of, oh, it's a disaster. His agent walks out in the audience. Oh, they're so hostile. Paula sees him in this production of Richard III, and she thinks, oh, he's dying up there, but I, I, I'm starting to see a man that I might be attracted to. What is this? I'm, I told myself at the beginning of this show I would never fall in love with a man again. And yet... I feel a love inside me blossoming. Elliot and Paula do eventually fall in love. There is some sort of conflict about (laughs) Elliot getting a movie role that requires him to leave for a few weeks. There's a bit of a struggle there because Paula fears that once again she's going to turn out to be the goodbye girl. But Elliot assures her, I'm sure his actions speak very loudly, And she is shown, oh, this is not a man who will say goodbye, girl. He's saying, hello, girl. And at the end of the show, they embrace and they kiss and the music swells and the conductor puts down his baton and he says, let's go home. (laughs) Let's go to Sardi's and have a hammed burger. In terms of sources, uh, not a lot to work with here. I did, of course, listen to the original Broadway cast album from 1993. I watched the Tony's clip, a little bit about that in the future. That's in your future. Uh, I could not find any full performances from regional or community theaters online, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, because if this show were at all popular, it would be done on the regional or community theater level level or the college level, but I couldn't find anything. And theater companies are constantly uh, putting up videos of their stage shows. And you'd think that someone would have thrown something up. There were a couple of numbers from the show from regional productions, but I wanted the whole thing. I wanted to hear Neil Simon's script. Uh, And I really, I wanted to know just how many outdated pop culture references were stuffed into that fucking thing. I also did not watch the film. I thought about watching the film, but if you're not aware of this, uh, Richard Dreyfuss is a uh, real piece of shit. Uh, You might be aware of, you know, of course, people like Woody Allen, Harvey Weinstein, their uh, horrific uh, careers of, of actions taken against women, but you might not know about Richard Dreyfuss. So Richard Dreyfuss sexually harassed a woman named Jessica Teak, while working with her on a comedy special for ABC. Uh, Specifically, he exposed his penis to her and tried to force her into oral sex, then made her life a living hell via bizarre and utterly disgusting verbal harassment. And Dreyfus vehemently denies these accusations, but for my part, I try to give women the benefit of the doubt whenever I can in these cases, and I hope you uh, listening do too. Um, If you are a... Uh, an ardent, rabid fan of Richard Dreyfus and need to stop listening to this show because I got political for 30 seconds, please feel free. Um, if your definition of getting political is giving the woman the benefit of the doubt, uh, I guess we have different... <laughs> I guess we have different ideas of what's appropriate when getting political. Uh, moving on. <laughs> the first song in the show is called No More. <laughs>
first song downshifts into super solemn introspection. I've been caught in a trap, but it's not gonna happen again. No. Uh, then the song shifts gears again, so uh, we can get more uh, propulsive and uh, and more manic. That the anger returns, and Paula talks about how how men have spines like linguini. This song is all over the place, and I love Bernadette Peters. I tried to give an appropriate testimonial to her at the top of the show, but it's crazy to think that this is what opened the show because it's what's known as an 11 o'clock number. 11 o'clock numbers are known as the fiercest declarations of emotion you can get out of a show, and they are supposed to come deep into the second act, not mere moments after the curtain has risen and your evening has begun. Uh, compare the the clips that I played for you of No More from The Goodbye Girl. Compare that to Rose's turn from Gypsy. Why did I do it? What did it get me? Scrapbooks full of me in the background. Give them love them. What does it get you? What does it get you? One quick look as each of them leaves you. All your life, what does it get you? Thanks a lot, and out with the garbage. They take bows, and you're batting zero. I had a dream. I dreamed it for you, June. It wasn't for me, Herbie. And if it wasn't for me, then where would you be, Miss Gypsy Rosalie? Well, someone tell me, when is it my turn? Don't I get a dream for myself? Starting now, it's gotta be my turn. Gateway world, get off of my runway. Starting now, I bet a thousand. This time, boys, I'm taking the now, this is the genuine article 11 o'clock number to beat them all. This fucking beats the band. Uh, Rose, the character of Rose in Sondheim's show Gypsy, we know Rose by the time she sings Rose's turn. Uh, she's questioning all of the choices we've seen her make on stage 
and is devastated looking back on them, that's powerful. That's, that, that's why Rose's turn works so well and why it is placed at the point in the show that it is. By comparison, we don't know Bernadette Peters' character Paula at all when the goodbye girl starts. So it's essentially impossible to feel for her, even if Bernadette gives the song her screaming all, Paula's singing about a life and choices we've never witnessed, so we can't help but feel detached. It's actually very alienating. It pushes the audience away because it's asking us to play catch-up. It's it's almost like we were supposed to do homework before the show to know what the fuck was even going on. Now, when the show premiered in Chicago, when it was doing a tryout in Chicago, apparently this wasn't the opening of the show. Apparently they did have another opening entirely in which Paula and Lucy are singing in this very upbeat manner. They're singing about how happy they are to be starting this new life with the man that Paula is currently dating, has a relationship with, it's this very upbeat song that's meant to uh, contrast with the moment that she finds out that he's left her. So we start out really happy in this alternate opening, and then I think presumably we may have slipped into No More or some version of that song. So we're going from high highs to low lows. They apparently cut the song because nobody fucking liked it. Uh, Critics were, I think, pretty uh, negative towards it. They almost, I think they described it as, it was almost as if the characters were being sociopaths. Uh, I think the intention was that the characters were meant to be happy about their new lot in life, but the way that it was written, the lyrics, the tone, made it seem as if they were just happy to be more secure, that they had maybe bagged this man and sort of tricked him into being a part of their lives, and now he was going to provide for them and give them whatever they wanted, I guess. I'm not really sure. And And I can't find a recording of it online, so I have no real basis of comparison here. I don't really know what to tell you about that. I actually think it was smarter to start on a note of happiness and then shift into the sadness of no more, the defiance of no more, because that's an arc. You know, it's a very rushed, compressed arc within the first 10 minutes of the show, but at least we're getting the background information. This is a comedy. I'm very confused by what what we're trying to do here because that that lyric about my built-in female radar only zeros in on zeros and the supporting wannabe De Niro's, it's as if the song is trying to be funny, but it's trying to just shower us with uh, pathos and and schmaltz and sadness. It doesn't work. I've talked far too long about this opening song, but it's because it confuses me so much. I'm sure you understand. Uh, a Beat Behind is the song that comes right after that on the album. Uh, again, Paula is the centerpiece of this song, and she is in this dance class where she can't catch up with the much younger students. 35, and I can't go the distance. I'm a beat behind This is a great example of taking a simple idea, a scene that was more than likely in the movie, and giving it Broadway bloat, making this outsized, uh, very cheesy moment in which the ensemble just has something to do. That's what I realized uh, with this number. They had cast this large ensemble, but they didn't know what to fucking do with them.
uh, outside of this song and a few other examples, they don't seem to really uh, actively participate on stage. It's essentially a three-person show. Uh, I realize, oh goodness, there's a character in the musical. I don't know if she's in the movie. Paula hires a housekeeper, and that's essentially the fourth character. <laughs> so th- there's a black housekeeper. More, I, I, I emphasize the fact that it's a black character because I think the show wanted, I'm not just throwing her race out there uh, to just throw it out there. I, th- there's a lot that I have to say about that. So it's a four-person show, but getting back to my, my previous point, the ensemble has nothing to do. So when you hear this song and they're singing about how Paula is falling apart and Paula can't keep up, the song is fine. It's not terrible, uh, but it goes on too long. Um, and at the end of the day, I feel like that could have been lifted out of the show entirely and we wouldn't have been hurt. The only truly, genuinely catchy tune in the entire show is uh, a track known as My Rules slash Elliot Garfield Grant. Don't speak. I need your attention. I'm not going to say this twice. I'm your landlord. And this piece of paper says you got to treat me nice. Lady, I'm the one with the rule book who'll say what you can do and can't. Because you're living on an Elliot Garfield, an Elliot Garfield grant. God love him. You're living on an Elliot Garfield, an Elliot Garfield grant. Uh, again, this song is very catchy, almost insidiously uh, so. It is an earworm, um, and it's clearly meant to give Martin Short his due. It's this big introduction, his big showstopper as he enters into the story proper. Um, I do not like a particular moment from the song that I'm going to play for you, uh, in which uh, Elliot talks about his anatomy. I hate an overheated habitat, so grab a quilt and leave the thermostat to me. I always sleep completely naked, buff a window open, winter, spring, through fall. So if you care to spare your daughter a reluctant introduction to anatomy, I'd bolt my door at night and keep that precious kid of yours from wandering the hall. That's gross, Elliot Garfield. Uh, This is the first of many examples where I am made uncomfortable by the characters talking about their sexuality as it relates to children, or children talking about the sexuality of adults and how they can relate to it. The word engage comes to mind. I don't want to engage with that kind of material. Thank you very much. Good news, bad news. Okay, so this is a song called Good News, Bad News. Elliot's disgusting streak, uh, which I just mentioned, continues in this song. The good news is I'm sharing this apartment with a pair of single chicks. The bad news is that one of them is rabbit and the other's three foot six. Stop it. Don't refer to both this adult grown woman and this child. I believe Lucy is 10 years old. Don't refer to her as a single chick. Who would laugh at this joke? Who would find this joke to be funny? There are many jokes. I have to assume no one laughed at ever. (laughs) Uh, And I think this is one of them. Um, I really can't stand Tammy Minoff as Paula's daughter, Lucy. And I feel bad saying that. I'm sure she was giving it her all. This is her first appearance on the album, Good News, Bad News, and she makes little orphan Annie look like Long John Silver. That lyric she just said. The good news is this time I'm the one sleeping with mom. No, 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 no. This child knows too much 
about her mother's sex life. She, uh, I, I'm made very uncomfortable by this. And if Bernadette Peters' voice is like candy, then Tammy Minoff's voice is like a fucking gallon of corn syrup just being shoved into my ears, and I cannot deal with it. Ay, ay, ay. Richard interred. Ugh, again. I have to ask about the structure here because this is what ends Act One. Uh, in my opinion, Act One should end on a note that raises the stakes. It should heighten the emotional bond between Paula and Elliot, which is the only reason why we're here. It's the only thing that's driving the show forward. But instead, the act ends with this really long... Oh, it's utterly tuneless. Uh, You can't remember a single note of it the moment that the track ends. And it's, it's Martin Short as Elliot as Richard III, so we're watching him fail on stage off-off-Broadway as Richard III. I'm dying. I'm dying. I told myself this tragedy would have a happy ending. I was lying. I'm trapped before the audience from hell and what I'm selling they aren't buying. And it's meant to be hilarious because Martin Short keeps... Uh, providing all of these asides to the audience saying, oh, I'm dying up here. My career is over. But that's not, it's not funny. Uh, It's too inside baseball is the problem because it's too inside baseball for those who aren't involved with the theater. So if you're you're not an actor, you're not going to find it funny to hear about actors failing off off Broadway. And if you are an actor, it's going to be really annoying. Uh, Imagine in 1993, you're an actor who's struggling to find success in New York City, and you go to see, let's say you get a ticket to The Goodbye Girl, and then you have to watch Martin Short and Bernadette Peters, two incredibly successful people, talk about how they're failing. That's just going to make you feel like shit. Like, oh, wow, working Broadway actress making fun of off-off-Broadway shows and how nobody goes to see them and how people are just miserable. I'm miserable. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you use your $7 million production to poke fun at me? That makes me feel like shit. Um, expired references, uh, there are a few in this song. Uh, the, the actors in the ensemble, again, this is one of the rare instances that the ensemble is actually engaged. They reference Nightline, Leno, uh, so I have to assume that's the Tonight Show, and Studs. One of the actors says, I'll be home in time for Studs. If, if this show closes, I can go home just in time for Studs. I, I wasn't able to confirm <laughs> Wasn't able to confirm what that was. Maybe that's some sort of sexy show that was on television in the 1990s. There's a track. Uh, we're going to have a slash right here in the middle. Uh, the, the song is called Too Good To Be Bad slash Too Good To Be Bad. My eyebrows can't get any higher when listening to this track. Uh, the first half of the track, Too Good To Be Bad, <laughs> is literally Paula dressed as a giant french fry for a commercial. And she is uh, alongside two other women, and they're singing about how junk food is bad for you, but because they are the junk food in the world of this commercial that they're filming, the song that they're singing is basically saying, you know you want a hamburger, you know you want a milked shake, let me fucking milk your shake. Eat me right now. Eat me right now and let the mayonnaise drip down your fucking chin. You know you want us. It goes on for so long. This low-rent, store-brand version of Hey Big Spender from Sweet Charity. Uh, Do yourself the favor and just burn through this. Get to the second half because that's when that's when my eyebrows just fly off my fucking head. They, like I'm Mr. Wooly. 
<laughs> they, they fly off my head, I do dare say. Uh, the second half, uh, this is the housekeeper character telling a little girl to do her homework. As a dancing french fry, your mom's a pretty hot tomato. Look at all of that sofa girl before you turn into a... Uh, this is not a moment-worthy musical expression. <laughs> Why are we spending two and a half to three minutes with this housekeeper yelling at a 10-year-old girl because she's not doing her homework? I ask you again. Now, you might be wondering, why is the song called Too Good To Be Bad slash Too Good To Be Bad? Well, why don't we take a look at the way that the second half of the song title is spelled. Uh, it is spelled out number two, the word good, the number two, the letter B on its own, and then the word bad. Now, why is it written like that? Um, let's, well, let's, let's sit here. Let's sit in this moment of questioning, of ponderance, pondering. Let's ponder. Is it because Carol Woods, the only black member of the cast, is singing in this second half? Is it because the writing team quite obviously relegated her to a token moment of stereotypical sass, and that's bleeding into the way the song title is written out. This choice is astonishing, and it is quite plainly just so stupid. I mean, it does. It flat out boils down to Carol Woods, this woman we've hired, she's black, she's coming on stage to sing really, really loud, so what do we call her half of the show? The ha Her half of the song, I should say. Well, let's just make it like slang. You know what I mean? This is, this is pre-text speak. This is 1993, so we're nowhere near text speak. So when we're using the number two in the letter B, we were we are just straight up doing like slang talk, and it's fucking racist and it's fucking stupid. Carol Woods deserves Lee parts only, not sassy babysitter housekeepers who tell white children to do their homework. This is made all the more ridiculous. This song when you realize that in 2006. Martin Short starred in a Broadway vehicle called Martin Short, Fame Becomes Me, in which black performer Capathia Jenkins sings a song that is literally called A Big Black Lady Stops the Show. Uh, that song includes the lyrics, It's a Broadway tradition if your show needs some bling for someone like me to come out and sing. If your plot's running thin and your ticket sales are low, let a big black lady stop the show. <laughs> Uh, now, won't somebody please explain why, whether gospel or some blues, these songs are always written by some old fart white gay Jews? It's because they love their divas and the way their profits grow when a big black lady stops the show. I mean, talk about poison pen satire. They're, they're making fun of shows like The Goodbye Girl when they when they present that song. Oh, my head is swimming. I cannot believe that, that this was even included. It's so pointless. And it, again, to go back to that idea, the plot is so thin that this is how we used this character. It's utterly ridiculous. Who would have thought 
is comparable to Something There from Beauty and the Beast, if you remember that song. There might be something there that wasn't there before. What's there, mama? Shut the fuck up. It's the type of song where the straight people in the show are like, hey, I used to hate you, and now I don't for some reason. Is it because I have a boner? Wow! I only include this song in my discussion because Lucy, the child, the daughter, the child, the child, it must be emphasized, is joined by two other kids. I don't know who the fuck these kids are, but they're her friends, I guess. So they can sing about the sex lives of adults. Stop singing about the sex lives of adults. Just listen to this shit. That's gross. When do you think they will cut to the chase? Well, his odds have improved since he got to first base. Stop it, please. So it shouldn't be long. Ah. be more outstanding. We hang on their every move. We hang on their every move. That's gross. Like Knott's Landing. Stop it, please. Will he charm her right into his palm. If he doesn't, she isn't my mom. Ah! And they also reference Knott's Landing. Um, Knott's Landing is not the reference you want in your show. Never. Here's an idea. If you're writing about characters in, in present day, just avoid all references. All references, especially if they're TV shows or movie, anything, 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 but especially TV shows, just don't do that. Because why would you subject an audience to that 30 years later? What? Oh, not slanting. Yeah, that's hilarious. Fuck you. <laughs> Man, I'm spicy today. I'm so spicy. Paula, on my knees, you're so much taller, but to please you, I would crawl the New Jersey Turnpike. Paula, an improvised love song. Uh, this is what's featured in the Tony's clip. Uh, I do not care for it. Uh, the set, as, as shown in this Tony's clip, is like something out of a Mel Blanc cartoon. You sort of expect uh, Martin Short and Bernadette Peters to turn into gay Paris cats and start running under the light. <laughs> they, it's like they're going to start running and strutting under the light of a cardboard moon. The, the moon. I could talk about the moon for a few minutes. The moon in this set is harsh and angular. It's not a realistic moon. It's quite large. It's bordering on hexagonal, and I, I just don't know what they were going for. Peters and Short just, at the, at the end of the day, they don't have the chemistry that's necessary to pull this love story off. Bernadette Peters is this coquettish... She's a fucking bombshell. She's beautiful, is what I'm trying to say, and Martin Short is... <laughs> Walking around like the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz in a fucking Casablanca white tuxedo. He's doing bad impressions, and you just think to yourself, why in the world would a woman who looks like Bernadette Peters ever fall in love with Martin Short? I love Martin Short. I think he's a big old fucking goof. He's fantastic in Hairspray Live, acting alongside Harvey Firestein as Edna Turnblad. He's great in that, but not so much here. It's a tough role for him to play. Uh, and you can tell how tough it is in the next song that I'm talking about here, which is, I think I can play this part. What you're looking for 
is a stand-up, steadfast type who's rugged, strong, yet sensitive and kind. But a leading man with a sentimental strike plus charisma is always hard to find. Does that sound like anyone we know? Anyone we've met? Who can we get? I think I can play this part Though no one's ever got it right This is a very difficult thing for anyone to pull off, and I, I, I feel bad for Martin Short. In this moment, Elliot asks Lucy if she wants him to be her father. It requires so much of him in that moment. Suddenly, we have to see Elliot as this very genuine soul who, for the first time in his life, is trying to build a bridge between himself and this other person, this this child who has seen so many men come in and out of her life. He knows how delicate this is. Uh, that's a lot, uh, and I don't. I just don't think it's very strange to see and hear Martin Short being this genuine. You, you just That's not what anyone has ever wanted from Martin Short. He's been doing goofy-ass impressions. He's been screaming throughout the entire evening, and now suddenly we're supposed to buy him as this very sympathetic, matured soul. And I, I'm sorry, I just got to reject that out of hand. And then the last song that I want to talk about is What a Guy. This is when Bernadette Peters finally admits to herself that she does want to be with Elliot. I only include it because of the lyric... He- He's no chip off of Chippendale, but he's a breath of spring. He does rotten imitations, but he's the real thing. First of all, he's no chip off of Chippendale, but he's a breath of spring? What is that? I've never heard of that phrase in my life. Hamlish, get back in there. Oh, you get back to that drawing board. Uh, You get to Beckadere, okay? You're working more hard on this song. Thank you very much. Now, there is a London recording. Spoiler alert. I, I did consider buying it just so I could throw in some clips, just for the sake of comparison, but... The musical man is not flush with cash. The musical man cannot waste his money on a London recording that is worse. That's right. I listened to the preview tracks, and it's pretty clear that this is much worse than the original show. Uh, What's so crazy about this London version is that they jettisoned 90% of the original score. They only keep Elliot Garfield Grant and, I believe, Good News, Bad News. Everything else is entirely original for the sake of the West End version. And there are new lyrics written by a guy named Don Black. Who the fuck is Don Black and how did he uh, earn the right to just fucking get rid of all these songs? I, I'm, I'm offended. The show it's, itself is bad enough, but Don Black made it worse. Uh, going back to No More, you know how weird it was that that was the opening song? Well, in the London version, Paula sings a song called I'll Take the Sky. Paula, it's she seems even weaker. She 
seems ill. She seems very frail. And she's saying, essentially, I remember when my daddy and I would put together a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, and I'd say, I'll take the sky, daddy. You take the shadows and the dark parts, all the parts that make me sad, and I'll take the sky. It's insane. <laughs> It's fucking banana bread nuts. The only thing that I'll say is that in the in the West End version, the London version, I don't actually know if it went to the West End. I'm not going to give that show that much credit. Um, in this London version, they do give Mrs. Crosby, the housekeeper character, a song all to herself. Uh, so they get rid of Too Good to Be Bad. That's, that's a good decision. I support that. And I think she sings a song called If You Break Their Hearts. And that is a song sung to Elliot. And she's basically warning him like if if you destroy these two women like so many men have in the past i'm going to murder you <laughs> I, I don't know I, who who knows oh boy brother uh, so that's it those are my thoughts on the goodbye girl uh, and now we're going to hear a word from our lovely sponsor 5678 coffee It's me, Gus, the theater cat. Oh, yes, it's me, Gus, the theater cat. And I'm coming to you from my dressing room. I just hacked up a hairball, and I'm enjoying a nice cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee. Mm, yum, yum, in my tum-tum. You know, five, six, seven, eight coffee really helps to, really helps to process my... Hairballs, you know what I mean? And I know that's disgusting, but I'm a kitty cat, meow meow, and that's the only perspective from which I can relate to you. Now these young kittens might try to talk to you about jack-all-fuck shit, but they don't know jack-all-fuck shit like I do. They don't know about theater, alright? I acted with Irving and I acted with Tree, so fuck off, okay, little kittens? They don't know about life. They haven't lived. They don't know. They haven't shopped around. For for years and years I had cough balls the size of bowling balls. I had cough balls the size of meteorites. And I always thought to myself, what, what out there will help my ailing sickness condition? And I found out that it was nothing more than a simple cup of coffee. Ah, but there's more to it than medicinal purposes. The medicinal effects, that's not all. It's delicious, I say. It's warm and rich, and it makes me go row, row. Oh, uh, take it from me, Gus the Theater Cat. Five, six, seven, eight coffee is a coffee that you will want to drink today. Especially if you have, you know, gelatinous, <laughs> gelatinous, disgusting, rubber-like compounds of, of wiggling hairs and worms. I have worms in my bowels. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. Oh, can count on it, meow, meow. Final thoughts on the goodbye girl. What else is there to say? Plenty. I have plenty to say. So fucking strap in. The musical man's talking, baby. The goodbye girl harkens back to a Broadway sound I associate with the 1970s. Uh, a couple of shows that uh, we'll talk about in the future include uh, Hal David and Burt Bacharach's Promises, Promises. I also compare it to Strauss and Adams' uh, Applause, which is a uh, an adaptation of the film All About Eve. So it has this 70s sound, and there is craftsmanship in the score itself, even if the lyrics are a little too clever by half most of the time. The problem is that that sound 
really didn't translate in 1993. That, that's clear, right? The, the, the run was very short. It's just stiff. It's old-fashioned. It's hard to love in 1993. Times had changed. Tastes had changed, uh, more importantly. And it, The Goodbye Girl feels like almost like a, an exhausted rebuke of that evolution. I feel bad for everyone on the writing team that you get the sense that they're trying to recapture a magic from an earlier point in their careers, cashing on a, on a movie that was very popular and selling out in the process with a tired shrug. It's a real bummer. The show that won Best Musical in 1993 was Kiss of the Spider Woman, and the other nominees that year were Blood Brothers, which was a uh, transition show from London, and The Who's Tommy. Now, did The Goodbye Girl deserve to win out over Kiss of the Spider Woman and uh, these two other nominees? No! <laughs> And I'll say no more about it. Now, it's, of course, my job to rank the show. Uh, We have to rank it as compared to Passing Strange, Kiss Me, Kate, and Big River. I'm going to place it in the number three slot. That's right. Now the list goes as such. Number one show, Passing Strange. Number two, Kiss Me, Kate. Number three, The Goodbye Girl. And number four, dead last, yet again, sorry, Huckleberry, is Big River, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Now, I've ranted a lot about The Goodbye Girl and how it's not very good. So why am I giving it the number three slot over Big River, The Avengers of the Huckleberry Finn? In all honesty, I'd rather listen to The Goodbye Girl say nothing than Big River when it's trying to deliver its messages that a fourth grader would find simplistic and reductive. The Goodbye Girl, it's not saying anything. It's a complete exercise in just getting through an evening. But uh, Big River actively annoys me in a way that is just much more harsh and, and sharp and gritty. I get very irritated when I listen to the, the Big River. And I'm more morbidly fascinated by the Goodbye Girl and its failings. So uh, for now, at least, the Goodbye Girl, you're in the number three slot. Be prepared for many other shows to be stacked on top of you because the difference between Kiss Me Kane and the Goodbye Girl, uh, that gap is wide. That is a wide, wide gap, and we intend to fill it with many other shows, don't we? Yes, it's true. Show-related ephemera. I have something this week. I have something for you. There was a TV special, a special report called Live from Broadway, The Goodbye Girl. And you can find this on YouTube. Now, don't be confused. The way that it was uploaded by the user is very confusing. It is presented as if it is in five parts, but after watching part one, YouTube will tell you to watch part three. Don't get it twisted. There actually is no part two. If you if you end part one and start part three, you'll realize that part three is actually an extension of part one and should have been labeled part two. Do you fucking understand what I'm saying to you? Watch a little bit of it. The problem is, and you'll hear this in a second, the audio is bad and you can really only hear it in one side of if you're if you're using earbuds, you'll only hear it on one side. So I apologize. And there's a bit of a VHS hum. Again, I'm just trying to prepare you. If you if you cringe at stuff like that, it's a trigger. It's dev it's de- I'm trying to give you a trigger warning right now. Uh, but the only clip I'm going to play from this uh, is an interview with Carol Channing. Uh, she is, this, is all, this all takes place on the opening night of The Goodbye Girl in New York City. There is a reporter in a hot pink dress sitting just outside the theater at which The Goodbye Girl was playing, and she interviews Carol Channing and Gwen Verdon. I'm not, I didn't watch the rest of it. I'm not sure if she interviewed anyone else on the opening night carpet. But I want you to hear, uh, Carol Channing, of course, she recently passed away, another enormous figure in the history of musical theater. And she's she was such a goofy bat, and I love her to death. Uh, here's Carol Channing comparing opening nights to plane crashes. From the Marquee Theater in New York City, 
Broadway. A special two-hour opening night salute to Neil Simon's The Goodbye Girl. I don't think of you as being nervous at all, but hark back for me to the opening night of Hello, Dolly. Were you nervous? Oh, well, you see, the trouble is that you do get nervous over every show. Every show. So opening night, it couldn't be worse. I think, Pat, it's like people tell me when they're in an airplane crash and they it's certain death. There, I think that, you know, suddenly you think, what did I do with my bobby pins? Or what did I do with the front door key? That nature makes it so that you can't fathom it. You're walking over a cliff, and, and, and nature protects you that way. All you can think is to wait eight bars of music and go on and start. You know, and, and you, you, how they're holding themselves is beautifully tonight. It can't get any more Carol Channing than that, can it? Uh, to determine which show we discuss next we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, You Have Got to Stop Talking About the Counting Crows. Everybody ready? All right, then away we go! Okay, I am zeroing in on our next show, and aha! Yes, the nominee for Best Musical in 2017, our next show, drumroll please, Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet of 1812. Fantastic. I've never really dug my heels into that. I've never got my hands dirty with that show. Very excited. I have both cast recordings already. <laughs> So I am more than ready to go. Uh, thank you so much for listening again to The Musical Man. Uh, we are available on iTunes. I would love it if you went into the iTunes store, gave me uh, and the show, gave us Patty in the booth, give her a five-star rating. If not for me, give it to Patty. She is with child. She needs those beautiful golden stars. Not just the stars, write a review as well. You have no idea how delighted I am to read reviews of the show in the iTunes store, so please go there today. We are available via Podbean. Uh, that is at musicalmanpod.podbean.com. We're on Twitter at musicalmanpod. Please like and retweet to help spread the word. And we're also available on Stitcher and Spotify. You can email me at musicalman, uh, musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Alex Green for our beautiful artwork, the logo, oh, mm, it's beautiful, and Zachary Little for our music, which you've been hearing throughout the show. You're going to hear some more in a ah, there it is, that doorbell, that damned doorbell, ah, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen. And good night. This is Zach Little's music. This, you're hearing it right now. <laughs>